making water out of thin air this November 16th, 2014. I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler. And it's This Week in Water. Next time you go to the pet store and pass by the fish displays, you may want to give a nod of thanks to the tiny zebrafish. Why? Well, China soon may be the first country to use the tiny tropical fish to test for water pollution. The zebrafish has long been used to test the effects of drugs on humans, but not for H2O contamination. The zebrafish is a possibility because of its genetic code. 90% of our genes are identical to the little fish. Using the fish for water quality testing will involve taking 20 healthy embryos and placing them in various samples of water. They will then be examined with a microscope in a controlled environment for about four to seven days. The zebrafish embryos are extremely sensitive to any amount of pollutants, and any mutations or deaths will indicate that the water is unsafe for humans. The death or mutation of a single embryo may show that an entire water source is unsafe for drinking. The zebrafish is also ideal for research into how diseases spread, particularly cancer. Last month, it was announced that a research facility in Canada has built a 4,000-square-foot facility with the capacity to hold 65,000 fish at a time to be used in disease research. When a tsunami in 2011 caused the Fukushima nuclear plant in Japan to spill a large amount of radioactive contamination into the Pacific, scientists predicted that it would take about three years for the leading edge of the plume to reach the U.S. West Coast. And, right on schedule, radioactive contamination has been detected from Alaska to California. But there's no cause for panic. The levels of radiation are harmless, about a thousand times lower than acceptable limits in drinking water set by the EPA. According to researchers from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, they've found cesium-134, a radioactive remnant with a short half-life of only two years. The institute said that they will continue to test for radioactivity to ensure that swimming and eating fish remain safe. Oceanographers think contaminant levels could potentially increase over the next two to three years because of the mixing of offshore surface waters and coastal waters. Levels of radiation near the Fukushima disaster site, however, are still too high for the approximately 80,000 people who still can't return to their homes. And speaking of oceans, this summer has seen the highest global mean sea surface temperatures ever recorded. Temperatures even exceed those in 1998, a record-breaking El Nino year. And the rate of warming has accelerated since April, according to scientists with the University of Hawaii. The researchers found that global ocean warming in 2014 is mostly in the North Pacific, which has warmed far beyond any recorded value and has shifted hurricane tracks, weakened trade winds, and produced coral bleaching in the Hawaiian Islands. Cigarettes are a potent source of pollution in the San Francisco Bay, and local citizens are trying hard to clean up streets so that butts don't get washed into storm drains. Recently, as reported in the East Bay Express, 10 people set out in Oakland carrying trash bags, brooms, and litter pickers to clean up bus stops and boulevards. But they feel like they are fighting an uphill battle. 
Cigarette filters are made of plastic that does not degrade, and butts that are casually thrown onto the street are full of toxins that can pollute water and poison wildlife. Some scientists and lawmakers in California are calling for a statewide ban on filtered cigarettes because of the environmental harm they cause. Some people see filters as the most prevalent type of litter in the Bay Area. The environmental group Save the Bay estimates that three billion butts are tossed each year, and a lot of those end up in the Bay. The filters are not small and harmless, as some believe, but are an enormous problem not just for the San Francisco Bay Area, but all over the world. When it comes to energy in the U.S., there's a lot of talk about moving away from fossil fuels and tapping into more sustainable and renewable sources such as hydropower, wind, and solar. But how about volcano power? A Seattle company thinks the idea packs a lot of punch, so they've come up with a plan to pour 24 million gallons of water into the side of Mount Baker, a dormant volcano in central Oregon. If all goes according to plan, the water will return to the surface boiling hot, at which point steam turbines can generate clean and cheap energy. The idea doesn't come without downsides, however. The process of injecting pressurized water is called hydroshearing, and like any injection wells, carries a risk of creating earthquakes. Furthermore, pollution from chemicals used in hydroshearing has environmentalists concerned. Therefore, any approval from the U.S. Forest Service, which manages the land near Mount Baker, would include restrictions to protect waterways and old-growth forests. Geothermal energy isn't new. It just hasn't been feasible because of technical issues and costs. That said, the project has attracted much attention from investors including Google, which, among others, has reportedly offered $6.3 million in backing. A lease decision from the Forest Service is expected next spring, and the public is welcome to comment until December 1st. Recently, because of the California drought, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti has called on citizens to cut back on their water usage by 20%. But the LA Weekly is reporting that the mayor's own official residence is using 2,100 gallons of water a day, which is five times what the average Angelino is using and more than three times the average at the wealthiest residences. It may be a bit unfair to blame the mayor and his family for using all that water, as the mansion is used for many other public purposes. And the mayor has also been taking steps to reduce water usage by removing some landscaping. And Garcetti is actually using less water than his predecessor. Not surprisingly, however, water usage in L.A. is strongly correlated to income, with wealthy neighborhoods using three times what poorer areas use. The mayor's request for voluntary reductions by others may not work. According to a UCLA study, voluntary reductions are not nearly as effective as mandatory restrictions and price increases. Maybe the mayor would use less at the mansion if he had to pay more for the water. And finally, this from our innovation desk. An Austrian designer has your back if you're a cyclist frustrated by having to stop to fill your water bottle. A student at the University of Applied Arts in Vienna, Austria, has invented a self-filling water bottle that could be a time saver for bikers 
and a lifesaver for people living in water-scarce countries. The device, called Fontis, is a solar-powered water bottle designed to attach to a bike frame. Depending on how hot and humid conditions are, it can generate up to 17 ounces of water by absorbing humid air as it passes over a two-piece mechanism that converts it into cool, drinkable water. So far, the gadget only works in humid climates, but maybe other students will be inspired to make a similar device that will work in arid regions too. A cool undertaking that should be no sweat. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio and is sponsored by Colorado Waterwise. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org. I want to ride it well.